Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. It's time now for our regional roundup where we take a look at headlines from around our region. Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, all on the cards. And helping me out is Dr. Felix Tan, political observer, Nanyang Technological University. Dr. Felix, good afternoon. Uh, very good afternoon to you, Elliot. Quite a few interesting things to talk about. But we'll pick up where we left off last week as far as Thailand is concerned. The Move Forward Party and its seven political allies have signed uh, earlier this week, I believe, a Memorandum of Understanding. So basically, this affirms a mutual agreement to drive 23 agendas once the coalition government is formed. Now, this, I guess, creates the basis of forming the next government. So then, what are the next steps that need to be taken? What should we expect? <laughs> yeah, this this MOU is really, really interesting. And maybe that is what Sean Chong talked about earlier, about the rise in the, you know, the index there. Hope for yeah, the markets. <laughs> yeah, the, the markets were really good. So I think what this MOU merely ensure is that, uh, is that these seven political allies, or these eight of them, will strictly adhere to the coalition and also to some of the agreed terms and conditions of uh, various issues that they have brought up during the, election campaigning period and these are the issues that they will likely be agreeable to bring it to the table uh, and be tabled in parliament now if that and that's a huge big if they are able to even form the next government Mm. unless they end up becoming the biggest opposition so with only 313 seats of votes within this grouping and if all of them are still stuck with you know this mou it's still a very long way before thailand's move forward party will Mm. be able to form the next government this mou will also likely ensure that voting for the next prime minister will likely tilt in favor of uh well peter lim jaronat but you know this coalition will still need to garner enough votes from the well as i mentioned earlier previously the upper house of senate members and uh they will still need to you know, ensure a little bit of like, persuasion around the other, even smaller parties. And I think just to name a few, there's Bunjai Thai Party and the Democrats as well. Well, it's, I think it'll be easier to persuade the, the Democrats rather than the Bunjai Thai Party. But, you know, perhaps we'll see some backdoor persuasion, push and pull around there. I got to admit, Dr. Felix, I, I didn't quite understand a lot about Thai politics until I started speaking with you. And it's quite interesting the amount of things that for lack of a better choice of words need fixing for example some of the missions where you're talking about this constitution that needs to be reworked right um you're looking at issues like legalizing same-sex marriage being brought up placing cannabis back on the banned narcotics list that sounds complicated uh replacing compulsory enlistment with voluntary recruitment during peacetime wow these these require long debates i mean wh- what kind of approach should we expect with regard to just these three of the many other issues that we need to yeah, do with. Yeah, we, we, we were to bear in mind that there are 23 on yeah. the list over there. And I will not even name all 23 because I read through it and it's very, very detailed. Yeah. But I think what these issues are is that they are very timely, they are sensitive, and, you know, in a way, much easier to be dealt with as compared with what the Move Forward Party really wanted, which is that less majestic law. But that's the elephant in the room. And I think, you know, perhaps we can talk about it some other time. So this coalition are dealing with these issues that they have also brought up during the election campaign. I think let's start with the cannabis, you know, back on the banned narcotics list. I think they have always been talking about this. And I think seriously, they will need to go and bring this up and relook at it. So there's already an ongoing process before the election started. 
and there was supposedly to be a uh, a law, you know, bringing back the cannabis back on the narcotics list mm, again. Mm, mm. So I think it's just been put on the back burner, so it's easier to bring it back up again. As for issues like legalizing same-sex marriage, well, I think we have to understand that, you know, well, Thailand is a Buddhist nation, and yeah. you know the Thai culture are perhaps perhaps only a little bit more willing okay. to accept such diversity in their society. So I think in a way, it's, again, once again, it's easier to manage okay. uh, people's expectations so they can bring it up to, you know, to, for discussion. Whether it will be legalized, I think, it'll, again, there will be some hurdles that they will need to go and cross. Um, as for, you know, replacing compulsory and, and this might be a challenge for the coalition and the parties involved, but again, it's not as controversial. I think uh, some of the other parties that were quite resistant have already said that, you know, then who is going to defend uh, Thailand in yeah. the future? I think it's about tweaking the wording and tweaking the expectation of this compulsory enlistment. And I think, uh, again, they are looking at very, very specific uh, during peacetime and not during, you know, at the time. So I think looking at all this, you know, it's, it's a long list, but there are a lot to look at bit by bit. Actually, I'm quite interested to see how all of this pans out because mm. other nations, especially in our region, some of these issues that could set some kind of a precedence uh, as far as other governments who may consider following something along the same lines eventually with what's decided in that sense. Mm. Yeah, but I think we will have to understand that there will be political yeah. Differences and cultural differences sure, in these sure. other countries. Oh, yeah. not easy. That's why we don't do <laughs> politics that way. Uh, but Dr. Felix, let's let's talk about something positive. Uh, quite interesting. I was reading this in the news. Indonesia's first high-speed train linking uh, Jakarta, the capital, and Bandung um, <laughs> completed a trial earlier this week. So it's mm. going to its destination in less than an hour. I believe the target is about 40 minutes eventually. Now... They're going to do more trials until it's open for commercial use in a couple of months. This is going to be huge for businesses or, or, or people looking to the Indonesian eco- economy. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, they are targeting to open it for business, you know, and officially by Indonesia's Independence Day, I think 18th of August, oh. if I'm not wrong. Okay. So I think they are targeting for that to be, you know, officially open by then, which is, which is a good thing. But I think this will definitely improve the transport system in Indonesia. And we have heard about the horror <laughs> stories about traveling, you know, yeah. uh, in Jakarta and being stuck in you know, oh, Indonesian yeah. traffic. So I think this will definitely be a good step forward. But I think if you look at the thing as a whole, right, I think firstly, this will significantly boost access to other parts of the country. And this is important for the tourist industry as well. Mm. And of course, this would also, for business people, uh, this would actually put less stress on Jakarta as an economic center. So if you were to see Jokowi's plan, it would seem that he's trying to divest the centralization of businesses in just one place, Jakarta. So already he has moved, or you know, moving the the capital uh, Nusantara away from Java, so that's far away. And now he wants to move this to Bandung. I think that there are plans to move it to other parts of Indonesia as well. So I think this is a good start. Mm. Uh, that's one. Secondly, I think this is the first high-speed trail or train, you know, uh, between Indonesia and China. And this is part of the China's Belt and Road Initiative. So I think this would actually bode well for businesses between the two countries and continue to improve uh, Indonesia's economy. I think at this point in time, uh, China has already committed to invest in a green industrial zone in North Kalimantan. So again, we're seeing more of this sort of businesses flowing into Indonesia. I think certainly uh, this is probably just one of the many possible future projects to improve transport system in Indonesia. Again, we have brought it up. So yeah. perhaps uh, they are already planning for the next one. And this next railway to the country's second largest city, Surabaya, in East Java province. So perhaps you know, if this is successful, we'll see that next one. 
And I think last but not least is Djokovic's legacy. I think mm. that's very, very important. Yes. They have certainly placed him as one of the most successful Indonesian president in perhaps, you know, in Indonesian history. But of course, it's quite uh, complicated there. But, you know, at least when he leaves office next year, there'll be a string of successes that he can actually boast about. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, it, it's it's quite amazing and I can't wait to travel there with all these uh, high-speed rails, what it'll mean for their travel economy as well. Uh, but from one country that is going to have a high-speed rail to another country we wish we had a high-speed rail to Kuala Lumpur, uh, Malaysian Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim, I got to admit, Dr. Felix, this looks like a complicated issue, but it has dominated the headlines, saying that the government will streamline conflicting regulations regarding the use of the word Allah by non-Muslims. Uh, this is so that regulations will be in line with the Malay rulers' earlier decision that Allah cannot be used by non-Muslims in the peninsula, while conditional use is permitted for non-Muslims mm. in the Borneo state, so uh, where your Sarawak area is. Uh, could you help us understand exactly what is trying to be streamlined here? How does it all work? Like what you mentioned, it's very complicated. It started back in the 1980s. But again, this has been an ongoing process for almost the last couple of decades, and not 10 years as well. So there's a need for more clarity when it comes okay. to the use of the word Allah in mm. Malaysia. Basically, there are two sets of rules at this point in time. One for mainland peninsula Malaysia. That means, you know, the states that we always travel up north. Okay. Uh, the other for Sabah and Sarawak. But please bear in mind that you know, Malaysian history is that Sabah and Sarawak joined Malaysia, Malaysian Federation, not the other way around. So mm. it's not really part of Malaysia in that sense. And there's so more the Chinese in Sabah and Sarawak as well, right? To be fair, non-Muslims. And also uh, so the indigenous population ah, okay, as well, okay. who are non, um, not necessarily Muslims as okay, well. So okay. the Kadazans uh, and, and so on and so forth. So okay. And Christians as well. So the bulk of it is over there in Sabah and Sarawak rather than Peninsula Malaysia. So I think the regulation initially stipulated that the word cannot be used by mm. non-Muslims in you know, Peninsula Malaysia, but can be permitted for non-Muslims in Sabah and Sarawak. And uh, again, you know, because in Sabah, and especially the Sabahans, you know, they mm. have said that the words have been used by Christians in the States for centuries. And, you know, then you go back to history again, where there is the Christian missionaries that have yeah. you know, entered the, the state. So, yeah. again, I shall spare <laughs> the agony of the history there. But I think that is how it all started. I mean, again, backstory. But I think, again, I need to clarify. But as for timeline, uh, how can we expect, you know, whether it will be cleared? I think, well, it's Malaysia. Yeah, they okay. do have what we consider as rubber time, you know, yeah. depending on the urgency of the matter. And how much political will the, you know, ministers have to deal with this issue? And most of the time, I think it will be swept under the rug, you mm. know, and until another appeal or someone get arrested or some enthusiastic religious person to make this mountain out of a molehill. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, at the end of the day, I think it's probably blown out of proportion mm. and it's mainly for political gain rather than genuine religious concerns. Ah, okay. Very key yeah. point there. All right, uh, Dr. <laughs> Felix, uh, final point, uh, talking about political. Uh, Malaysia-born stand-up comedian Nigel Ng, or rather known as Uncle Roger, he's been suspended from Weibo, which is uh, China's version of Twitter. He posted a clip poking fun at the Chinese government. I've seen tons of his clips. I don't know if you've been following the story, but it's caused quite a stir. Just out of curiosity, do you see this affecting Malaysia-China relations? I mean, after all, this guy is also like Gordon Ramsay's good friend, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've indeed followed, I mean, followed, uh, you know, uh, Uncle Roger's video. It was it's, it's quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we, we need to take a pinch of salt. I mean, yeah. at least most of us are not triggered by, you know, Uncle Roger in most 
situation. But I think it's certainly quite a kerfuffle. I don't think that this will necessarily have any form of political impact between the two countries whatsoever, between China or Malaysia. And But I think, you know, uh, China doesn't take these sort of jokes or sarcasm yeah. uh, quite easily and uh, they are quite uh, triggered these days. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, we have to see whether the joke is malicious or not. Okay. But I think, you know, China is being just careful about the situation. But the poke fun at their expense, you know, always does not put them in a good light, you know, that the, the Chinese government will be a rather... Uh, reticent about, you know, uh, sharing it on their, you know, social media. So I think, you know, this is probably where China draws the line, mm. you know. But I think as far as we all know, it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, water under the bridge at some point in time and, you know, things will just move on. I'm sure he'll find a way to address it himself as well, <laughs> Uncle Roger. Okay, I've been speaking with Dr. Felix Tan, Political Observer, Nanyang Technological University. Dr. Felix, as always, appreciate your time. Take care and have a great day ahead. Mm, thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.